Good morning, saints. Good to have you all here this day. A few things to note. Um, Tuesday next, January 26th, is our next ART, our Association for Reformed Theology. And um, I hope you're, uh, you know, we start about, I think it's about page, the three chapters start on 203, talks about sin and death, uh, the uh, covenant of grace, and our mediator, Christ our mediator. And hopefully you've been reading some of those, that, those that are part of that. Um, but even if you haven't, please come and be a part of that. It's going to be Tuesday evening. It'll, uh, on the 26th, it'll be 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. And people have an opportunity to ask questions and other kinds of things. And so um, that lasts for about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And I really want to encourage you to come if you can be a part of that. Also, um, Lakeside has the honor of hosting our presbytery this coming Friday and Saturday. And uh, that's one of the reasons I think um, the women's ministries have been really active in getting our, our lobby uh, painted. I did want to do it for a while, but this was a good opportunity getting it painted and sort of renovated there. So... They've done a wonderful job with that, and so that'll be, I think that'll begin sometime um, early afternoon and go through about noon on Saturday. So, um, but anyway, that's going to be happening here. Also, uh, for those that are um, enjoying um, Richard McClendon's online Sunday schools, we have them um, through on videotape there. Uh, he has finished with the book of Acts. He's going to start with the book of Philippians. And generally on Tuesdays, um, sometimes Wednesdays or Mondays, if the schedule doesn't allow, but he comes over here and Ray Leninger, whom we really appreciate doing this, um, films him. And then usually by that night or next day or so, it's, it's on the website and get there by going uh, to our worship section. You go down there and you'll see Sunday School. And there'll be a place that you can listen to that. And like I said, he's going to begin this week starting on the book of Philippians. Also, let me also mention, again, I think most of us know it pretty well, but when we take our offerings, we're not passing the plate. Um, that will happen again someday, but right now in the current conditions, we're not. But there are a couple plates on either of the banisters up here, and there are a couple boxes, offering boxes, right behind the last pew uh, that if you desire to give when you leave the sanctuary after the service, you can uh, put your uh, donation there. I know you all noticed when Jim got up to address you this morning and he referred to you as saints. And that was not a, a vote of confidence about football. Uh, football talk would be inappropriate. We don't come up here and talk about our sports team. You wouldn't hear me talk about Texas Tech defeating the University of Texas in basketball this week. I wouldn't do that. I'm above that. Um, when, uh, when we moved here, I was determined that I was going to be a neutral rooting Party. I wasn't going to pick one team over the other, and, and really, uh, and when I say one team over the other, I mean State or Ole Miss, and, and r really right away, uh, uh, Bill Heimer kind of ruined that. He, he bought my son a cowbell and, without even asking me, and he gave him the cowbell, and then, and then he took my son to a baseball game, and, uh, and then my son, who was supposed to go to Texas Tech, uh, is going to go to State now, and this Christmas... My son gave me a present. I opened it up, and in there, in the present, there's a, a Mississippi State hoodie. And I had to take a picture and send it to Bill Heimer and say, look what you've done to our family. Um, it's time to worship the Lord. It, I, we walked outside. It's beautiful today. It's a beautiful day. This is the day the Lord's made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. I want to invite you now to stand and be called to worship. What, what we do together is we profess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. And I ask this question, Christian what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we continue on in our worship. This week, uh, we have two noteworthy things um, 
that we, are, we will um, recognize um, we are going to have a new uh, administration, and that will bring changes for sure. Um, I think that's Wednesday when that uh, swearing-in happens. And then the next day, um, I, I believe it is the, the 48th um, um, anniversary um, of uh, the Roe versus Wade decision. And, and again, for those that uh, are used to counting numbers of pandemic kinds of things um, uh, on them, um, they showed the numbers there. It has been since 1973, I think the count is over 61 million abortions. Um, so as our opening scripture, I'm taking Paul's exhortation to Timothy. And he says, before all things uh, that I want to talk to you, let me talk to you a little bit about prayer for all men, uh, particularly those in leadership. And so Paul writes, uh, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger, we're quarreling. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in thanks and supplication. As children, we can address you as Father. You are sovereign in all things. Your Son saves sinners and rules in love and mercy. We acknowledge that in a few days we will have a transition in national leadership. Our prayer is for our president and new leaders that they would learn that it is the righteousness of God that exalts a nation and that the God of righteousness holds to account nations as he does individuals to honor his son. Christ exalted his holiness for the individual soul and for the soul of a nation. Give us peace that we can live godly lives, seeing Jesus Christ, a ransom for all, exalted and proclaimed in this nation in faith and truth. Father, we also pray this day for the unborn. How different it is this plea from past ages where high infant mortality so often threatened. We live in a day when death comes from judges who are to defend the weak, citizens that would empower them, medical expertise that should do no harm, fathers who are to protect and mothers who would give life. We pray for courage to persevere and not grow weary in your fight against this terrible death. We are created in the image of God. To deny the value of humanity is to deny Christ. Roe versus Wade is a terrible sin. We pray for compassion as we extend the love of Christ to women and to men who have been marked by abortion. We confess that only the gospel is sufficient to bring repentance, cleansing, and healing. Father, bless our worship and giving. Use our obedience and sacrifice to further your gospel. 
We ask this in all things in the name of the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
your hearts to him, church. this time, if all children ages three through kindergarten would meet with Miss Amy in the foyer. And church, if you would continuously prayerfully listen as we sing this next hymn as a praise um, special. Its name is Jesus Firm Foundation. 
How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, he is with us, so be not dismayed. For he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand. Upheld by his merciful almighty hand. How firm our foundation. How sure our
So the way that I do it um, is I try to have this, this spreadsheet. It goes maybe a year out, and in the spreadsheet, um, I, try to, I try to be at least six months ahead of time of picking what uh, I feel like we should be preaching on, teaching on, and learning. And so uh, whatever I'm preaching on in a day, in the morning, is something that I really didn't put any thought the beginning of that week, I didn't go, oh, this is be a verse that really hit that. I, I picked it out six, eight months ago and, and came to it faithfully and, uh, and said, what does this verse um, that I've laid out say to us? What did it say it's in, its, in its original context? What might it say to us in our world? And, uh, and, and so right now we're working our way through First Peter and, and it's got something to say to us. And it, uh, that, that's resonated with some people and it's, it's frustrated others. Um, but as I understand, my job is to, as faithfully as possible, represent what the Word of God is saying and say it in its context and then, and then kind of ask what that might mean for us in our context as well. And uh, in, in looking forward to the year ahead, uh, I, was, I was working this week and, and, and I was doing that work of looking for the future. And so I think what we're going to do is in 2021, we're going to look at the book of Judges uh, after we get through First uh, Peter. And if you've, if you've haven't read Judges in a while, it is going to be a dark ride, right? The book of Judges is, is some of the, the, the darkest, most violent stories of the Bible. And we've got to, the work will be really hard because it'll be, where in this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so I look forward to that. And then also, I think we're going to be spending some time working after we get through Judges, spending some time working our way through the book of Hebrews. And, and then also we'll have Easter in there and we'll have Christmas in there as well. But that'll be the most of 2021 is working through First Peter, uh, working through Judges, working through Hebrews, and then, and then Easter and Christmas. Um, but right now we're going to continue our work through First Peter. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I would like you to stand for the reading of God's inerrant word. Before we read this, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we come with our opinions, we come with our, our perspectives and our uh, allegiances. But as a church, we come to bend a knee to you and to, uh, to listen to your holy word and to use it as a measuring device for our lives. So we pray for your spirit to bring conviction where it should and for our hearts to kind of clearly discern your word. May your spirit help us in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. All right, so to 1 Peter in the second chapter, beginning in the first verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying up in Zion a stone, 
a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, for the sake of those who are new to our study, let's, let's step back and grab a little context as to this letter. Uh, this letter is written by Peter, uh, the disciple of Jesus, uh, who is now, now the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, his ministry is mainly to Jewish believers, probably writing this letter about 64 to 65 A.D., which happens to coincide at the same time as that great fire that historically happened in Rome. Remember the fire that, that they tried to blame Nero on, and Nero wouldn't take credit for it, even though he probably had a lot to do with it. Two-thirds of all of Rome burnt, and people were very, very angry, as you could imagine, if two-thirds of, of our community burnt, and they wanted someone to blame. And so Nero gave them a scapegoat of the Christians, and they began to, to persecute pretty aggressively Christians. And all these Christians began to kind of scatter from the persecution uh, throughout modern-day Turkey. And so Peter's really writing to the, the church that's scattered amidst persecution and suffering after this fire in Rome, more than likely. Um, First Peter is written to a group of people who are really struggling and oppressed. They're, they're predominantly uh, writing to Gentiles, even though in, in Peter's ministry, he's usually working with mainly Jews. This letter is addressed to mainly Gentiles. And, and Peter, in this section particularly, just these 10 verses, he's going to use two really clear illustrations for us. And they're, they're super clear. The first illustration is, um, is, is a baby. And I apologize if this is your creepy baby. I just found it in the church. You're welcome to come get it back after the service if this creepy baby belongs to you. Uh, I would not have this in my house. I think it follows me with its eyes. It's really, it's disturbing. But, but one of the first images we see is that of a baby. And he, he talks about infants and, and pure milk. And, and so this is a, a helpful illustration to us. And the other illustration that we use, it's still here, good. Use your legs is that of a stone. And I was able to find this outside. Right? Can you all see that? That's heavy, but that's a stone. So we have this illustration of a baby today. We have this illustration of a stone. So we'll start with the illustration of the baby. Okay, Peter, is uh, he's talking to these, these Christians. And why does he call these Christians babies? 
It's this whole concept that we bring in about being born again, right? So if you're, if you're born again, you become a new creation in Christ, but you're kind of in an infantile stage as a baby Christian. You haven't matured yet. You've, you've put your trust in Jesus as Lord, and that's proof of you being born again. But, but when that happens, you don't necessarily come out looking like Jesus, do you? I've never known anyone who was born again, and, and the next day they just really had mastered righteousness. They, they never really had it down. I mean, we're born again, and then we kind of struggle to kind of uh, be sanctified and be made into the image of Jesus. It takes some time. For a season in your life, you exist as a baby Christian. Now, if you were to have a, a, a baby in the real world, right, uh, and you wanted to bring it home to, to, to live in your home you would have to do some things to get your home ready, most of you. Uh, and we do this because uh, we have to kind of protect babies from themselves because babies left to their own, uh, they're just dumb, right? I don't know why. They, you have to protect babies from themselves. Uh, they will crawl around and put things in their mouth they shouldn't put in their mouth, and they will touch things they shouldn't touch. They'll put their fingers in electrical outlets, and so we have to go and we have to baby-proof our homes. And so we do this. We, we put uh, covers over all the electrical outlets, we put latches on the cabinets so that they can't get to the bleach. We, we hide everything that's dangerous in the house. We pick up all the little things off the floor that they might put in their mouths. You know, um, one of the, the most important baby-proofing inventions that was ever invented was something called the palm-and-turn lid. That's what the patent said, the palm-and-turn lid. Do you know what that is? It is the, the invention that we put on all of our prescriptions, Right? You know, if you take a, a prescription bottle and you just turn it, you can't open it. You've got to wrestle with it and get it and press it down real hard so that you can open it. Well, the guy who invented that was a pediatrician who was just fed up with babies and kids dying from overdose. And he was working in Canada as a pediatrician where, and in Canada at this time, there were like a thousand kids a year would die from overdose. And at that time, I mean, the, the number of population between Canada and the U.S., Canada didn't have much population. So you can imagine what it would have been in the U.S., just a lot of kids. And so he said, listen, we've got to protect children from themselves and from poisoning themselves. And uh, w- when they came out with this palm and push lid or the child safety lid, they saw an immediate 91% reduction in children poisoning. So pretty, pretty beneficial invention. Peter, here's, here's the illustration here, right? Let me use it here. Peter is speaking to baby Christians, and he's trying to protect them from themselves. He's trying to baby-proof their life as they move forward. And he wants to protect them from this maybe self-poisoning. And so verse 1, this is what we get. He says, so put away, put it up on high on a counter where you can't get to it, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. He's got a list. It's a very interesting list. I don't know uh, why he picked all this list, but I can make some observations. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. You know what all these things have in common? What links them? Everything here on Peter's list is destructive to other people. Right? When you're malice, you're destructive to somebody. When you're deceitful, you're destructive. When you're, when you're a hypocrite, you're destructive. When you envy them, you're destructive. And, and definitely when you slander someone, everything on this list hurts other people. And, and so what, what basically Peter is saying is the first thing you should do as a baby Christian is stop being malice. You know what that word means? I mean, it's a word that we kind of throw around. I guess we use it some. But if you really look up a, a good definition of the word malice, it means uh, the desire 
to cause other people pain. One of the first things that, that Peter instructs baby Christians to do is to stop desiring to cause other people pain. And that's something that many of us never learn. We go through life and, and we, we, we claim Christ is our Lord, but yet we still delight in, in causing people these little pinpricks of pain. We still, we still like to hurt them a little bit. Like, like it gives us a little rush. It gives us a little thrill. And so we'll get on social media and we'll stick it to somebody. We'll just cause them a little bit of pain. I know a lot of people who go on Twitter and they have a regular Twitter account that has their name on it, right? And they have a shadow Twitter account where they can say stupid things that they would never really say with their real name. So they can hide behind it. And what they do is they get out there and they just lob these filthy things that are really malice. And sometimes hypocritical and oftentimes deceitful. And almost always slanderous. I'm here to tell you that there are plenty of people who think that they are mature Christians who delight in doing little things to cause their enemies pain. And and, and plain and simple, according to Peter, it's a maturity thing. It's just a maturity thing. Either either you're a baby Christian or, as he he goes on to say here in verse 2, if you are a newborn infant and and you long for this pure and spiritual milk, you drink it and you grow up into salvation. So what what does he mean by that? What What is the pure spiritual milk? Well, I think really the truest source of it is the Word of God. This is what we come to, we stand for it. Like I told you, if if I'm doing my job well as a preacher, what I do for you every week is do nothing but open the Word of God and try to tell you what it says. I I put the Scriptures up there because I'm just trying to bottle feed people. Now, if if you go to a church and you get a lot of opinions and a lot of illustrations and not a lot of pure spiritual milk, then you're not going to be fed and you're going to remain a baby Christian. But you want to consume this pure word of God. What you ingest, what you take into you matters. And listen, I don't know about y'all, but I have these habits in my life. And I'm just kind of a really habitual person. I, you know, I stop at the same gas stations every time. I don't, like, there's, I don't go to seven gas stations. I go to one gas station, right? I just have these things I do. Like, and when I come home from work, I always kind of have the same thing, throw my keys up on the counter. And some of my habits are bad. Like I'm going to always grab a bag of chips and a jar of salsa. And as I start to cook dinner or help cook dinner, I may eat a lot of chips and get calories I don't need, but that's just the habit, right? The other habit is I I grab the remote and I turn the news on. And the news is playing while I sit there and cook and prepare a meal. And what I hear when I listen to the the news, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is what I hear. Ready? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like it is a perfect description of the nightly news. And so here I am, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian, and I'm trying to put this stuff up on a shelf where it won't hurt me, but yet I put it on in the background, and it just chirps in my ear as I cook. And so lately, I've had to, I've had to try to start turning it off, and instead maybe turning into the Word of God. Peter says that that God has a bigger plan for us. And instead of staying as an infant, God has a plan for you to become a stone. That's the next illustration that he uses for us. Uh, we're going to transition from the imagery of a baby to the imagery of a stone. And if we were to look at maybe just kind of looking throughout the entire Bible and, and saying, 
where does the stone show up in the Bible? You're going to find it in a lot of places. You're not just not just in the New Testament, not just here. You're going to find it in a lot of places. One place uh, that I that I found it this week that I thought was very interesting was in the book of Daniel. You remember the story of Daniel there in uh, exile in Babylon, and the king with a funny name, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he uh, has brought in uh, almost like interns into the castle to kind of learn some of the culture there, uh, the Chaldean culture. And uh, the king begins having these troubling dreams. I, you know, I guess they're kind of a recurring dream he keeps having. And he keeps going to his advisors and saying, listen, I need you to tell me what I dream or, or you know, about this dream. I need you to interpret it for me. And uh, the advisors, are kind of, they kind of have this response. Okay, king, tell us what you dreamed. And we'll give you an interpretation. And the king goes, no, 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 no. It's not going to work that way. You're going to tell me what I dreamed. And then you're going to interpret it. And his, his advisors are like, king, that's crazy. Like, no one can tell you what you dreamed. You have to tell me what you dreamed. And then I'll tell you what it means. And the king goes, you know what? How about this? How about I just kill you? Like, figure it out. Or find someone who can. And he's, he's mad that he thinks only these, these Jews can do this stuff. So then he's going to start persecuting the Jews. And it's high stakes when Daniel walks in to the king's room, right? And he walks in and he approaches the king and he says, I'm going to tell you exactly what you dreamed and I'm going to tell you exactly what it means, okay? Let me read you portions of what what Daniel told the king. He says, uh, you saw, O king, a great image and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was gold. The chest and the arms were silver, the middle and the thighs were made out of bronze, and its feet are partially iron and clay. It's kind of this, I don't know if it's like a monster, this kind of this, this image of this great I don't know, something made out of all these different metals. And he goes on, Daniel goes on, he says, Then a stone was cut out of a mountain, not made with human hands, and the stone struck the image and it broke it to pieces. And then Daniel's going to give us his interpretation of what all that means, right? The interpretation, O king, is this. The precious metals are all kingdoms. And you, O king, are the head that's made of fine gold. The stone, however, is the coming kingdom of God. And it stands forever. And of its increase, there shall be no end. So uh, the stone broke uh, to pieces all the nations, and it is the coming kingdom of God. And Weston was in my office this week. We were kind of talking about this stone and what it, this story of Daniel and what it might mean. And he was, he was telling me that he'd been reading a, a book from a, a professor who had a, a conversation with a professor, and that there are a lot of historians who, who have some, maybe some questions for the story of uh, um, David and Goliath. You know the story of David and Goliath? And, and David, he, he comes with a sling, and he's got stones, Probably a lot smaller than this stone, right? Probably like, like you know, maybe that size, smooth stones. And he, he defeats Goliath by them. And, and, and what Weston was saying in, in regards to this Daniel story is that the word for shin and the word for head are the same. And that there was some possibility that some people believed that when, when David slung the stone, instead of hitting Goliath in the head, they actually crushed his shins. And that it somehow is a, is a reflection of this same story that we see here in Daniel. Whatever... We see that in both instances, it's a foreshadowing of the coming kingdom of God, okay? And and so that's what the stone is. And when we get to Isaiah, Isaiah's got this vision, and God shows him the stone again. And he says, uh, 
that, that it wasn't just any stone, but it was a, a, a cornerstone. And it was chosen and it was precious. And you get to the New Testament and Jesus starts talking about stones. And, and you remember, he said that when you're building your house or your life, you should build it upon the stone. Now, there's a lot of imagery here to untangle around the stone. Like, What does it mean exactly? It first emerges as the image of the kingdom of God that's toppling the nations. But what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? Uh, if, I, if I just kind of went around randomly and started tapping random people and said, hey, listen, I know you've been in church your whole life. I'd like you to approach the pulpit and just tell everybody what kingdom of God is. Like, can you talk a little bit about the kingdom? I think a lot of people get anxious. If one of my favorite things is when we get to have elders and, and deacons come and read something out of the pulpit, and you get them up here, and they're godly men who, like, I respect so much, but they get behind the pulpit, and they start talking, and their voice starts shaking a little bit, and their papers start shaking. That makes me so happy. Can I just tell you all? Like, like I love it to see, to see other people stand behind the pulpit and to feel the weight of it for a second. What if you had to get up and give a description of, the kingdom of God. Could you do it? Because it's, it's, we talk about it a lot. We see it a lot. Can we describe it? Well, let me, let me take a shot at the stone. If it's supposed to represent the coming kingdom of God, talk about what that kingdom of God is. Um, well, we, we can say some real basic things. The, the kingdom of God is, is a kingdom ruled by God's anointed Messiah, Jesus. Uh, and he's not just his people's redeemer, but he's going to be his people's king. And, and John the Baptist arrives just before Jesus. Do you remember this? And what was John the Baptist's message? He, kept, he said it over and over again. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming or the kingdom of God is coming. So, so he's saying, hey, it's, it's almost here. The stone that broke the legs of the, of the beast and the vision of Daniel, it's almost here. Why does he say that? Because the king was almost there. Jesus was, was coming into the world. And so there was this inauguration of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes into the world. And the kingdom of God did not end with, with Jesus leaving this world. Jesus, when he faced Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not an earthly kingdom, even though it is not without earthly authority and earthly consequence. The kingdom of God trumps every earthly kingdom. And your citizenship in this country that you live in, in America, is completely secondary to your citizenship in the kingdom of God. Remember the image of the stone as it goes through the legs of all the nations and crushes them. King Jesus is again and again referred to as the cornerstone. So in that great nation and great kingdom, Jesus is the cornerstone of it all. He's the foundation this is what Jesus spoke about in his parable. We told you how to build your life. Build it based upon me. I'm the cornerstone, the stone the builders rejected. But here's what's interesting. We talk about the imagery of the stone. It is the kingdom. The cornerstone is Jesus. But Jesus is not the only stone. Right? He's not the only stone that makes up the kingdom. If you remember Jesus calling Peter, you remember he called him? And, and his name at that time wasn't even Peter. It was Simon. And he says, Peter, he gives him a new name. He says, your name is Peter, and on you I will build my church. And the name Peter meant stone. He was basically telling Peter, you are a stone to be stacked upon me, the, the cornerstone. And when does he do this with Peter? When Peter makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And now, who's writing? Who's writing to us? Peter. 
the stone stacked on the other stone. And he, and he says to us, and if, if, if you look at uh, uh, verses 4 and 5, this is what Peter says to us. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you know what Peter is describing here? He's saying that all these living stones who believe in Jesus are being stacked up to make a spiritual house. Well, what's that spiritual house? It's the church. All these living stones are being stacked up. And and it says uh, to be a holy priesthood. That's the contrast Peter gives us. You're either a baby Christian or you're a living stone being built up into the church. That's the thing about the kingdom of heaven. I just need to make this point. We don't have priests apart from Jesus who is our prophet, priest, and king. You are a priest. I'm not your priest. I'm the elder who's chosen to bring the word to you. You're you're the one who brings your praise before the Lord. You bring your prayers before the Lord. You offer your spiritual sacrifices. But you don't get to do it alone. right? You're stacked up with a whole bunch of other believers as the church, a spiritual house. Like there's no lone rangers. There's no stones that get to exist somehow not stacked on Jesus. And there's no stones that aren't stacked into the church. You can't be your own little Christian off in the corner. Christ is building his church. And it's it's this language of community and togetherness. And Peter's really, he's going to mine down and just get all he can out of this, this stone stuff. He's going to really... So, so he goes in verse 6 and he goes back and he quotes Isaiah. Behold, I'm, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's meant to be an encouragement to Christians. That in the midst of struggles, trusting in Jesus will not lead to shame. And in the context, that makes a lot of sense, right? Persecuted by Nero, chased thrown to the wolves and the beasts, set on fire. And Jesus says, like, listen, it looks like trusting in Jesus is going to lead to your shame. But I, I promise you, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's, he's giving them kind of his word on this. And without a doubt, I think I can say this, that, that a time is coming in this country when trusting in Jesus will appear to lead to shame. And maybe in this world. For many people, the time's already really here. It's already come. Many in our country have begun to look at Christians as shameful. That somehow our beliefs in uh, the Word of God are some oppressive establishment. That we're some ignorant people who lack science. And that we're not fit to to hold office or uh, or to be fellow citizens or to earn respect. One day, and maybe it's now already, there's going to be a real cost to being a Christian. In my whole life, I've lived in Christendom. You understand what I mean when I use that word Christendom? Christendom means that, that Christianity is the primary thought. It is the primary authority in the land. And forever, Christendom reigned in this country. I don't know if forever, but definitely... Most of this country's history, especially after World War II, there's a heavy Christendom here, right? 
You would ask people, what church do you go to? And the assumption was they went to church. You know, this is a weird deal. Uh, but, but now, um, on the backside of a lot of diversity, Christianity is seen as one of the sources of historic oppression. And a time is coming when you will be oppressed for being a Christian. It will just, it's just going to switch a little bit. And, and what Peter says to those who follow Jesus is, is we will not be put to shame. It's that same promise. And he begins to talk about Jesus uh, as a cornerstone, but also he, uses, he kind of switches the stone imagery up. It's not that he's a cornerstone anymore, but that he's a stone of stumbling. And I, I think you could kind of get the imagery of that a little bit, right? right? Like if you were to go down an old road, I think when Kimmy and I were in Charleston, South Carolina, they still had some some cobblestone roads, if you've ever been there. Maybe Savannah, Georgia. These really old colonial towns where they still have the cobblestone. And occasionally you'd see one that wasn't set down flush with the others. It was, it was up a little higher. And if you were to look at that stone, you'd go, that's a stone of stumbling. Because like, it kind of sets up and someone's going to catch their foot. Some horse is going to catch its foot on there. And it's going to stumble. And so Peter says in verse 8 that Jesus will be one of two things for people. Jesus is either going to be the cornerstone of your life or he's going to be a stone of stumbling for you or a rock of offense for you. You know why people stumble upon the, the stone of Jesus, right? It's because they reject his kingship. And to be quite honest with you, some people already have a king. And they would rather follow that king. And for them, Jesus is nothing more than a stone to stumble on. So make no mistake, you won't know Jesus as your Savior if you do not know Jesus as your King. However, in verse 8, Peter says, some people are destined to disobey God's Word and reject the King of Heaven. And this section, all the section we've been reading, 1 through 10, we get to verse 8, and really Peter starts to wrap it up, our section here, by reminding who you are as Christians, by reminding you of who you are as Christians. Verse 9, that's what it says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And there's a lot there, right? There's a lot of, a lot of details there. What does it mean for Peter to write that we are part of a chosen race? Now, chosen race is some tricky language in our culture, isn't it? Like, you don't want to be caught saying that outside a church and maybe inside a church in the wrong context. If you take this verse out of context... You're going to get canceled in a hurry. But look at it in context. Okay, let's, let's, let's bring it back to its context. What does he mean when he's talking about being part of a chosen race? As I said earlier, Peter's audience in this letter is Gentiles. Um, they're not specifically Jews, but, but Jews would be included in, in what's happening here in the culture. The people he's writing to are Greeks, they're Romans, they're Persians. There's all kinds of other Middle Eastern descents. And Peter says, you are all now one chosen race. A royal priesthood of living stones, a holy people, a people of his own possession. That all these other races together have made up one kind of chosen race. The people of God, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Well, listen, I'll, I'll say it again. If I was just to take straight up and preach what the Bible says here, whatever I, and I told you I picked this out months ago, and I was to try to faithfully apply it to our current political context, is there not a need today 
to remind Christians who they are and what kingdom they belong to. Is there not a need to remind Christians that way back in the Old Testament, kings dreamed dreams about the coming kingdom of God and how it would scatter the human nations? Is there not a need to remind Christians that the king has come and that his kingdom is established and that his people are to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation called out of the darkness into the light and that they are tired of these old baby ways of being malice to others who don't fit into their kingdom ideals and principles? Let me conclude by saying this. Um, It feels like Peter gives us three options here today when I look through the illustrations then. Option one, um, you came to Jesus, you saw his claims for kingship, really clear. You read his word and you were offended, probably because you serve another king who's given you uh, a different set of values already. And therefore, Jesus to you has become a stumbling stone. That's option one. Option two, you liked Jesus. And you submitted to his kingship. You came in, you submitted to his kingship. Uh, you, were, you were never really fed, though, by the word of God. It never made its way in your life. And if we can talk about that just for a second, just be real honest with you. You guys um, know that you should like the word of God. And part of you um, knows you should be reading the word of God. And, and you're trying to work yourself into this. You, you, th- you hold it with high value. But so many of us just do not. Like, we know it's important. We just, we just don't, I don't know, we just don't find time for it. Option two, you like Jesus, you submitted to his kingship, but you were never fed by his word, and so you stayed a malnourished child. You fed yourself with a steady diet of poisonous pills found on the TV. It made you angry. You got on Facebook and you said your little malice comments. and You stayed an immature believer. And option three, this is the third option. Jesus is your king. You have fed upon the word of God. You're not a baby, but you're you're a living stone stacked upon the king of heaven. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You know who you are. Your allegiance is to the king Christ. As part of Christ's church, you have a new identity. You're part of of the chosen race, a royal priesthood. Once upon a time, as Peter says, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So act like it. And choose this day who you will serve. Will you be a baby? Or will you be a stone? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do uh, thank you for this word and what it means to us today how it brings its conviction and it does its work, God, um, where we have not, as, as believers, fed upon the pure spiritual milk. We repent. We take it for granted. It's like right before us, and yet we don't feed on it. God, I thank you for the feast this morning of hearing the word of God and, and feeding upon it. I thank you for the conviction it brings. Christ, our King, our Lord, we pledge our allegiance and our love to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Seems like a, a pretty, Ill, pretty easy, simple illustration today. Christ is either for you a stumbling stone or he is your cornerstone. Based upon how you interact with his word and his lordship, you are either going to be an immature infant in faith or you're going to be a living stone that's built up into a royal priesthood, part of the church. Um, we have been the church gathered. When we're the church gathered, I mean, we talk about the church. It's not a building, right? It's all of you stones who come together for a day like this where we worship the Lord and feast upon that pure spiritual milk. Go and be the church scattered. And as you do, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's worship once more. While I draw my fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages left for me, let me hide myself in thee. Lakeside, it was wonderful to worship with you. As we go, I pray that you make Christ your cornerstone and the firm foundation you build your life upon. Until next week, God bless.